0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at at The Block. And today, joining us on the other side of the mic is Dan Finlay, group manager of MetaMask, one of the most widely used Web3 wallet providers in the industry. The, I mean, the wallet provider in, in many respects. We're going to be discussing MetaMask's attempt to bring Web3 beyond the crypto world, how the company has navigated chaos in crypto markets, and just the broader strategy moving forward and how, how we maybe continue to avoid the tech debt that Dan and I were talking about before we turn on the mics and, and continue to innovate and, and make the wallet experience more intuitive for regular people, people like me, simple people. <laughs> but before we dive in, I wanna take a moment to thank our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based Layer 1 blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at Flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of The Blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms service. Once again, I want to thank Dan Finley for joining
1: us. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Frank.
0: It's my pleasure. Um, We've had some of your folks come on from the institutional side, which has been an interesting endeavor for you guys to enter. Um, Like I kind of said before we turned on the mics, it's been a wild week and a wild year of news in our our industry. How does MetaMask sort of sift through that? Because, you know, you're almost sort of isolated from it, right? Like in, in some ways, you're just kind of, you're just there.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're a we're a business, so like the the parts that hurt us are the amount to which we are touching the traditional financial world and the degree to which, you know, our employees rely on it. And so uh, so until, you know, we've got like crypto native uh alternatives to every um, <laughs> you know, need that our uh team has <laughs> from housing, medicine, food.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: we'll still need off-ramps and stuff. So so yeah, having banks getting shut down is a uh, a scary thing and it's obvious that um yeah it seems like some some powerful people are trying to trying to kibosh it as hard as they can uh but in terms of how the product itself works it keeps working um uh, and yeah just like the ftx thing you know we actually see a spike in usage and adoption after some of these most catastrophic things and it's it's almost like Depending on which bubble you're looking at, it looks like a totally different thing happened. There's there's some people who are convinced that crypto is all a scam, and to them, these collapses like prove uh, their point. But for people who were holding crypto that and didn't experience loss, and maybe even experienced uh, gains as a result of uh, catastrophe, it's a kind of different experience.
0: I wonder if it sort of changed the calculus in the in the wake of um, the meltdown of Silvergate and. Silicon Valley Bank, and then Signature, people are wondering, you know, where do I keep my funds? Where are my funds most safe? Where maybe as a project, do I maintain and manage my treasury? And, you know, DeFi has its own long list of technical risks and not not necessarily risks, but just UX, headaches but now without centralized counterparties that we can trust it maybe minimizes or kind of changes the conversation about the risk of the former and more so the risk of the latter um, yeah what does that mean maybe
1: for metamask I mean well I mean like the when when you're pointing out like the uh, the calculus being different, like, oh, well, now that there's, you know, institutional risk uh, now, maybe it's worth overcoming some of the UX hurdles. Like, I think that that's like, it's a it's a kind of privileged perspective like that we have here in the United States to be like, hey, our banking system has been fine. Like <laughs> the hey. UX has been the thing holding back crypto. Um, mm-hmm. There there are definitely plenty of people in other parts of the world who have been uh, perfectly happy to onboard uh, through, you know, tricky user experience when it means having access to a currency that's more stable than they have otherwise. So, so yeah, it, it's kind of a local calculus that we're, we're observing. It's like, so are our, our, uh, US institutions gonna be moving uh, more, you know? is venture capital gonna start uh, holding crypto native assets? Because um, it seems like the, the assets that had the most uh, risk during these meltdowns, it was like the ones that were purportedly uh, pegging to be stable You know are rooted on usd or something where that's experiencing tons of inflation and yeah so there's like kind of this continuous offer right like well we could hold our assets in some crypto native thing and that's volatile in this whole other way um or we could you know potentially conceive of new assets that we represent on the blockchain and prefer to hold those but uh Yeah, yeah. I think think this is largely drama that comes from trying to cling to a system and a way of valuing things that doesn't really care much for decentralization and would frankly love to shake it off its back.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Have you noticed any changes in terms of usage or onboarding over the past few days?
1: Yeah, yeah, we... On Sunday, we had like our, our best ever swaps day. Like, I think, you know, so it's it's kind of a, a weird mixed blessing. We're like, we're terrified, you know, or like who knows is a systemic risk. But then at the same time, well, it, it's extremely good for crypto. <laughs> like people, people are onboarding. People are fleeing to crypto in in many situations. And uh, so, yeah, we, we see that and we see that every time there's one of these systemic shocks, people kind of look at it again and they're like, hey, wait, that's holding up. And it's like a new opportunity to relearn once again. Yet another centralized exchange. Uh, you know, did things you might not have wanted with your money, and suddenly your money's gone. And you know, like there, there sure is benefit to having an actually transparent system.
0: So yesterday was the best day of the year
1: of uh, uh, our swaps history since we rolled out swaps in the I think like August 2020. Yeah. So that's nuts. Yeah, it is nuts. You would have thought, I don't know, FTX or there was the whole NFT boom was over there, but, you know, that's not as directly token correlated. And I guess it's not the kind of thing that uh, results in people making huge uh, adjustments of their entire portfolio. I I think there's people making some pretty big moves uh, in response to this situation.
0: So walk us through the, uh, I'll use the word calculus again so I can sound fancy.
1: Sure. Of, Of the users who are
0: contributing to that that phenomenon what do you think uh maybe you talked to some of them what what was going through the logic there and moving over
1: i mean i i can't get in every person's uh mind but i i can you know speak to people that i've talked to and and even some of my own internal thoughts and you know there were there were thoughts like oh look oh like circle had what a 8% 8% of its uh, U.S. backing in uh, was Silicon Valley Bank or was Silvergate, and that was now at risk, and it was unclear, uh, you know, if, if that was going to be is that vaporizing, or are they going to cover it, you know? And so people are basically speculating on how these things were going to get handled in the outcome. And and I, I think there's, a, a lot of companies have a lot of incentive to, you know, defend their reputation in this situation. So, mm-hmm. um, so you're almost betting, like, Will circle, yeah, care more about the reputation than they care about, um, you know, the big, big loss. But yeah, so I think people were betting, they were freaking out that some of their stable coins were going to drop. You know, Dai even dropped because most of its backing is on USDC now, and yeah, and then so some people go to Tether, and then some people think that's just a black box. You know, I you're on crypto Twitter, I, I think you you've seen the general narrative sloshing around, right? It's it's a lot of just speculative panic. People aren't sure what they can trust. And everybody seems to want something stable. You know, it's like, if you could have anything, you want something that's just going to last really long. Got to say freeze dried food is, is shelf stable for 25 years. That's pretty good. But uh, but in terms of like something you could uh, hold like a significant net worth. And yeah, it's it's tough. And I don't know uh, what is ever exactly safe. And it may just be like what we personally value. Um, but yeah, so everyone's speculating in their own crazy way. Mm. So what were the numbers printed? printed uh, so in swaps fees, I think we made like 1.5 million or something.
0: Mm. What do you think the ramifications are on this depegging that we saw on USDC for broader crypto?
1: Well, I think a lot of people treat stablecoins as kind of like this user experience solution, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, well, at least everybody understands dollars. You know, trying to make people hold a cryptocurrency is like one more thing to understand. And it's really great if you can kind of onboard people in small jumps. And, you know, you don't have to understand that. You know, like the whole appeal of account abstraction is like, maybe people don't have to hold their own crypto. Maybe they don't have to think about gas. You know, maybe their friends could back them up. Maybe we can even make the backups invisible uh, at some point, you know. Um, but, But yeah, like having to think about conversion rates is like, like not everybody's financially literate, you know, like we, so we have users come in and, you know, this might be their first time holding something other than their local currency. So, so having to think in terms of volatility is, it's kind of counterintuitive and it's not how everybody thinks. I mean, that's, that's one good reason to have like a improved like education platform in our onboarding. And I did want to mention, we, we've just uh, launched a product for that uh, called MetaMask Learn. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're weaving it into our onboarding, and but it's not really a MetaMask specific thing. It's kind of just a like, here's what it's like to hold a cryptocurrency and interact with the website. Because um, we're finding like, you know, even though we were getting a lot of new users, something like 75% of people still didn't really understand conceptually what a wallet was. So yeah, and, and you know, that's there's like technical aspects of that. There's the key management aspects to that. There's holding transaction fee crypto. And then, yeah, and so the conversion rate is another one. So conversion rate and then also just like price stability, right? Um, cryptos are so, so volatile. Um, makes planning anything really hard, right? If you want to plan a business, your investors probably don't want you like gambling with their investment while you're while they're gambling on your efforts. Like, like you're mm-hmm. already a you know, if you're a startup, you're already, you are a risk, <laughs> right? You are a yeah. venture, you're doing something wild and crazy. Uh people aren't necessarily trying to stack that with like whatever you're particular currency preferences of the day are.
0: So walk us through um, some of MetaMask's key growth metrics for 2022. What KPIs are you looking to hit?
1: You know, one of the biggest things that we're actually hitting isn't even growth. Like we're targeting just uh, proportional loss reduction. So one of the, we think one of the biggest plagues on the ecosystem right now is just the fact that people don't feel safe holding crypto. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of ways that people lose uh, funds. It can be mm-hmm. losing access to their keys, losing track of them, uh, or getting, uh, robbed. So, and that can be in the form of phishing, uh, which can be like fake support and fishers have like a variety of techniques they use. Um, and they're, they're getting more sophisticated all the time, partly in response because they, they have to, cause we, we are coming up with new ways of keeping users safe. And so, um, you know, if we're doing our job right, entire techniques of phishing are regularly becoming obsolete, and, and we we recently had a, a nice good win on that. Uh, we shut down a whole phishing kit company. So so yeah, one of our one of our key uh, KPIs is just reducing phishing. I think we we are you know trying to grow and we're trying to diversify our, our revenue streams, but we're also trying to uh, focus on ecosystem growth. You know, like I really believe that like what MetaMask does best is not just like you know, provide uh, the the best swaps experience. Although I, I might argue we do, but it's that we let you create new applications and interact with new applications that nobody had even imagined yesterday. And the fact that somebody can drop a link to some new like new kind of DAO or a new game mechanic or some new NFT drop where you stake them and you you know get votes and you do some weird crap like that that space of innovation I think is the magic of Web three. And um, so we've got some KPIs based on like measuring health of ecosystems. So like new dApps and how much traction they're able to get. And then also we're building a, a plugin system for it kind of letting developers expand out our own wallet features uh, called MetaMask Snaps. So we're, we're tracking how much traction there is, uh, you know, from developers on that too.
0: And can you monetize this or is it, is it a question of the less money that gets stolen, the more people will want to use all wallets, including MetaMask, and then that translates into more swap revenue. Um, or can you build these sort of tools that safeguard people, and then you know maybe sell them, monetize them?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Like the first instinct is always like, well, we don't want to charge people to be safe because then like <laughs> any anybody with like less than whatever that fee is is just not going to be safe, and that that would be pretty unacceptable. Um, and yet there, there are like safety measures that are simply like more labor intensive and we can't afford to offer for free. So mm-hmm. so I think we're kind of walking a line. Like I, I don't think we're hoping to make user safety our primary revenue model. I think we're trying to make people as safe as they can be by default. Um, and uh, does that help all wallets? Well, yeah, in so much as those wallets like copy whatever we did to keep users safer. Um, but I think a lot of it is just about improving retention and and you know every mm. time a user gets robbed it's oh oh it's not I mean it's it's terrible for us it's the worst thing uh it's obviously worse for them it's the worst thing for, and it's the worst thing for the ecosystem too you've got a person who's now like crypto's not you know like this is terrible like you, you mean you can you know like I saw what looked like an airdrop and I clicked it and oh I asked somebody for support now it's, no. now it's all gone. Now I lost everything. Like this is this is crap. So it's it's terrible and and uh So we should all probably be doing whatever we can to keep users safer, because like if you're if you're in the crypto ecosystem, you probably hold some crypto and it or and you might even believe in building, you know, organizations or whatever kind of future institutions on crypto. And none of that works if people don't believe it can be safe, uh, which comes from it being safe. So got to have it got to make it safe. So (laughs) it's just like a it's just step one. Like if we've got a hole in the bucket. It doesn't matter how much water we pour into it. Um, mm. and, and it's not just losing people, right? It's like people, they're like evangelized against it. Uh, so yeah, user loss is the worst thing. It's the worst thing you can have.
0: Is there any data you can point to that indicates that that hole in the bucket's getting smaller?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but we are, we are tracking it. Our support team is like categorizing tickets they have into fund loss types of fund loss. We're tracking types of fund loss and different fishing uh, techniques. And then we're making uh, product decisions based on how to uh, eliminate different popular fishing techniques. And the fishers are, they are getting like, I mean, at this point, they're very well resourced, right? They're sophisticated. Mm-hmm. They, they build products. They have large staffs. So, you know, you really have to take this from a, like a serious systematic uh, perspective.
0: Mm. And this is kind of all part of getting web three to go more mainstream.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's so many elements to it. Like if going mainstream is like, I I mean, it's like the castle in the sky, right? Like, like, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I don't even know at what point somebody likes to say that something is mainstream. I mean, I remember the first time the daily show did a a joke bit on NFTs. I was like, (laughs) is that mainstream? That seems pretty mainstream. It's like, you know, (laughs) national comedy bit about it. But you know, I think what most people mean is like, Is it like normal to use crypto, like are are people unfazed when they interact with it? And right now we've got downright like a culture war around it. So I think we're pretty far from mainstream at the moment. But like there's a lot of ingredients to to achieving that that normalcy. I think you have to be able to move in and out of it without it feeling like a big freaking deal. And when you're in it, you need to feel safe. And so I think the baseline, you have to feel at least as safe as you feel in other institutions. Uh, although it's like our strength right now. It's like you you might be worse at keeping your funds safe by default, but you're resilient against these catastrophic failures that, you know, like, oh, so Venmo froze your account or your bank closed on you or, uh, you know, you got rugged by your exchange.
0: That stuff is like, I mean, you're not losing all your money, but it's just as annoying. remember one time I sent, I sent like, I'm trying to remember what it was for. I think a guy fixing my pool screen. I like had him set up Venmo because he didn't have Venmo. Yeah. And he didn't have Zelle. He didn't have any of the stuff. Right. And he set it up, went through the whole process, and I, you know, sent him over whatever it was, two hundred bucks, and transaction didn't go through, and my Venmo account got closed for three weeks.
1: Oh no! Just because they flagged you for some opaque reason. This is this is fraud yeah
0: yeah i'm like, sh- I'm like come on let me, ju- let me just pay this guy
1: yeah so yeah so then today crypto is just the absolute opposite end of the spectrum it's like yeah nobody's it's like, gonna do it's that easily
0: send money to people but
1: yeah oh, almost too easy it's <laughs> yeah it's like almost too easy so so then yeah so what we get to do now though is we get to choose our space on the trade-off spectrum right so you can mm-hmm. say oh well you know, like somebody might actually like a centralized party, like signing off on their, you know, like a, you know, having a third party who has some fraud detection thing that you opt into might be a good deal. But it's especially cool if you can then opt out of that. If you're like, you know what, this is a little annoying. You, you froze my account while I was traveling, really messed up my honeymoon or whatever. Like, uh, you're out. I'm I'm changing my my security model. So having that having that optionality is, I think, kind of the the new thing.
0: If you're a board ape holder, you want that security lever all the way up to the top.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cause it's just like so much, so much value in like one little honeypot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for, for board ape holders and crypto punk holders, I think I think they're learn they're getting a lesson in like ultimate security. Like a mm-hmm. lot of those holders are probably gonna come out of this with like uh serious security team material because they're gonna have to learn how to use cold devices and you know, but uh, delegate uh potentially those rights out to, to hot accounts. So this all kind of speaks
0: to, again, like what we've been kind of talking about since the top of the show, just improving the user experience. Um, you guys announced recently updates to the mobile app, I think, and and the browser extension to improve those load times um, mm-hmm. and optimize just the experience. What what other things can, can you do to... Maybe if you're signing a transaction, like if it if, if it is something that might be fraudulent, maybe there's a, a red flag or something that pops mm-hmm. up. Like what other things, can we do to yeah. make
1: it? Um, there's there's so many so many things to do, and actually, yeah, like sourcing negative uh, indications is actually a lot safer to do than positive indications. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like flagging something, if you if you put a stamp of certificate of safety on something, that's mm-hmm. That's bold like you, you got I I don't know what it takes to do that, but being able to say this is a known scammer, that's actually a fairly, fairly low lift. So we, we maintain a phishing list today. Um, the hardest part about maintaining a phishing list is casting a wide enough net because we've actually got so many available signals and so many people that are basically just honest, trying to contribute. Um, and so, uh, yeah, sourcing that list has been its own challenge. Uh, we, we do have a, a little initiative uh, called MobiMask uh, that we're working on in collaboration with LXDAO and Laconic, where we're building a sort of web of trust phishing list. Um, and so that's one thing that I'm excited about. But also, we can uh, you know add simulation to the transaction confirmation. And also, um, I mean, there's just like a long list of, of strategies of making transactions more readable. Um, there's there's a new EIP uh, for making signatures more readable. You ask the contract how to render it. So we we're not only exploring a few of the ones that we believe are the highest impact. We're also you know building in a plugin system for adding new safety measures so that people can validate new strategies, uh, kind of aggregate them into our confirmation view, and you know ultimately potentially roll some of them in by default and just improve and hopefully. Hopefully the the default confirmation becomes this like you know spider web of signals where any any shake you know mm. sends a tremor up to the user. Building the system out to be as uh, wide reaching as we want it to be has been a little bit of a technical challenge, but we're actually making some really great progress on it, and I'm pretty excited. We we announced uh, our, our collaboration with Laconic and Mobi Mask recently, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be like this light client that helps uh, peers gossip a fishing list. And uh, I'm I'm particularly excited about that.
0: Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon, too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting edge zero knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based Layer 1 blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare time series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer. Focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. What areas maybe like if you like refocus maybe your energies? And you know, one thing that I talk about with a lot of folks in the space is okay, you know, 2021, we kind of had our hands in, in many different pots, and now we just need to refocus on our specific um Value proposition, and, and maybe scale back in certain areas to refocus and double down our efforts in, in our core um, competencies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty dis- good description of what we did recently at Consensus. We did have the Consensus, the parent company of MetaMask, recently did have a layoff of around eleven percent of our workforce, if I remember right. But that did not affect the MetaMask team. Uh, the MetaMask product team, yeah, is kind of becoming an increasing focal point of the company's a- efforts. Um, we still have some job openings there, there were there were some really talented people affected in the layoffs and uh hopefully we can we can rekindle um any that we missed but yeah um yeah <laughs> it's a tough I process mean, it's consensus but like um yeah. like metamask is that the, is
0: that the flagship would you describe like how would how do you think of it within the broader
1: org yeah uh, i mean Back in the beginning, it was just one of the projects, mm-hmm. but it's come to be, uh, yeah, like probably a majority of the energy at consensus today.
0: Wow. Don't tell the other colleagues working on other stuff.
1: Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not a majority of the whole company. I, I don't know, but it's uh, it's the biggest team now. Uh, we're bringing a majority of the revenue, um, and so we're increasingly kind of looking at strategies uh, across the other products in terms of like is there a synergy here that we've maybe been missing? And I yeah. think there's a lot of them, you know? I mean, obviously our, our classic uh, collaboration is with Infura. And I think, I think there are actually opportunities where we, we haven't always worked as closely with Infura to like kind of drive uh, innovation at what providers can do for wallets uh, as much as we could have. And also, you know, our friends at Truffle are like making some of the best transaction, debugging, simulation stuff. And we've got that right there. Right as transaction simulation is becoming a hot thing. So we're we're uh, we're exploring uh, opportunities there too.
0: How do you sort of address maybe some concerns um, about the close connection between you know MetaMask and consensus and the former uh, as a result of that connection not being decentralized enough or crypto-y enough?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was up to me, we would have, uh, you know, founded ourselves in a world where crypto was already a thing, and <laughs> we would have done it with the token and decentralized our stock from the beginning. And uh, but uh, yeah, Web three wasn't a thing when we started, so we we are forced to take the uh, the path of uh, you know progressive decentralization. And uh, I say that with all the irony that I think some people hear it with because. You know, I think a lot of people profess progressive decentralization and then just make no progress on it because the default is to not give away power. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so it's a it's a challenge. It's like
0: almost we talked about tech debt at the start of the show. It's almost mm-hmm. like a, a corporate debt.
1: Kind of. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, if we can build a product where look, we, we empower users to be in control of their own funds, we can keep them as private as we can. And they're able to do all sorts of stuff. And, you know, it's free to do all that. I can be pretty okay with with it, you know, ultimately being a in an organization. You know, at the end of the day, a product needs somebody who's building it and they do kind of need to be aligned with its success. So I think it's sometimes overblown to say that, like, oh, you know, like I think early on there was a lot of, oh, like ideally the ownership should be distributed between the entire world. It's like well so what the people building it shouldn't have like any upside or like what exactly is our distribution we're imagining there It's like okay okay well you know early people should have an upside but then it's like but early users should have an especially big upside and it's like okay so we should rip off all new users for for, you know and it's like I I think when you chase it down a little bit is like a traditional corporation is a it's not as uh, far off of what it takes to build a product as you know Sometimes we idealistically uh, frame it as. Uh, I think. I think we should explore more ways of like creating reciprocal opportunities between the core team and the community. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think we. I, I literally used to think that like yeah, if you if you evenly spread out the the tokens between the whole world, then everybody would be incentivized for its success. But like realistically, there's going to be a few people building it. There's going to be a few people with the ideas. Someone has to call the shots. Um, if you didn't people might vote to like fish all the users or something
0: Mm. or just start something else.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, if everything's just got a flat ownership, um, it's it's almost like, well, why does anybody care about anything? I don't know. I'm kind of definitely going off script there a little bit, but it's, it's like a weird thing where I I feel like there's a lot of, um, what's that? What are we
0: communists?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I I definitely think people have dabbled with the whole range of philosophies within crypto. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, trying to distribute tokens flatly is, um, I think, still an unsolved problem. Maybe if we scan our eyeballs, uh, I'm not completely sure. Not everybody's got eyeballs, for one thing. We Fair can enough. lose them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You can lose them just like you can lose your board eight. Yeah, and and you're still trusting the eyeball scanning machines, right? Not to not to make this, uh, you know, two pointed, you know, but like I'm just saying, I don't think I don't think anyone solves that yet.
0: So, in this marks towards progressive decentralization is. Is there
1: a token? Uh, potentially. Um, but we we don't, uh, yeah. Uh, t- we'll tell you what, we don't have any reason for a token right now. Like, uh, I think we've got some, well, we've got some things that we use tokens for already. You know, like we've got a grant now. We use tokens to vote on that. You know, so I think tokens are a tool. And if we find opportunities where it solves a legitimate user need, you know, 've I've said it'd be fun to uh, poll users on a feature requests, you know with the token. That may not be the super valuable token that everyone's hoping for. Some people would love it though and and, and I, I would love it as somebody uh, making feature trade-offs. but uh, yeah, I think I have yet to see a truly deeply compelling use case for a token. Oh, actually had a new idea recently, but it's real early. so so it's like probably um, probably too early to have any confidence on.
0: What else are you super excited about?
1: Uh, I'm excited about making all this stuff um, easier to make fun. These days, it all feels really dire and it, <laughs> and intense, and the stakes are really high. And mm-hmm. I think that um, I think that there's like there's something about it's hard enough to make an app that like by the time somebody makes one it's like a big deal and it's like a rush to the door and people pouring money and like you can't you can't make a thing without it like almost feeling um i don't know like it could be security critical i look forward to making it easier to make small things that can still be like trajectory shifting in their own small way mm-hmm. i think that's part of what i like about our uh, wallet plugin system is like like look um you know, tokens and NFTs are great, but you know how many standards are like have been held out of the wallet just because we are busy. Basically, you know, like just like subscriptions and like voting rights and and allowances and you know other delegations and and uh, proxy contracts and multisigs and and all these things are things where it's like it totally belongs in the wallet, and it's just like because uh, we're one team, we we end up feeling like we can't add it, and so then the whole ecosystem's like, okay, well, I guess it's either tokens or NFTs, those are the two things that we can deal with. But I, I think that it's almost like the wallet's fault for not being as extensible as the underlying blockchain. And we're working on fixing that. We're working on aligning the wallet with the flexibility of uh, the EVM. And, um, and I think that that's going to make things a lot more interesting. I think you'll be able to do a lot more different things, sometimes not just, you know, more things beyond speculating, you know, use the things in your wallet you've taught in more disciplines than most people, comedy,
0: mm-hmm. technology. I think I'm missing one. Chess. Chess uh, as well. Thank <laughs> you. How important is education? And like, it, does that, do those experiences like help influence um, the way in which MetaMask can maybe edify um, new entrants and what programs are there that, you sort of maybe are spearheading
1: uh, yeah no I, I think that uh, education is deep in MetaMask's DNA uh, my co-founder and I uh, both came together out of having tried to make some uh, educational tools we were making like minecraft in the browser and it was going to be extensible and have like a you could program right in it and so it was like a scriptable minecraft um, and like from that to to metamask what we were doing it always felt like we were people who were bridging a gap where we see some fountain of cool, exciting technology and taking buckets of it and bringing it over to people who weren't aware of it. And, uh, if we do it right, we bring enough buckets. We, we actually carve a trench, you know, we, we don't do it manually. We actually just connect, connect opportunities, you know? So Metamask was always like, we came to the blockchain or to Ethereum when you basically needed a command line to do it. The mist also did come out while, while we were building. And, uh, Uh, Yeah. And we're like, here, let's make it easier. You know, let's how about not sync a full node? How about just use a web link? And the thing is, you know, we are always sanding off as much of the user experience as possible. You know, try to explain the transaction fee, make it easier, easier. Um, But um, to some degree, there's always going to be some complexity and there's going to be some new paradigms, you know, even People using email for the first time—that was a big new paradigm. You had to learn what the at symbol was. Everybody was like, "What is that?" I always wondered that that was on the keyboard. It's on the two. Must be important.
0: We just migrated to Microsoft Outlook, and I think it's it's that that experience was more difficult than me learning how to use a a MetaMask wallet in 2016.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I get compliments like that sometimes, where people will say like, "Oh, once I I'd been using MetaMask for a month." And now when I hit like a email registration, I get angry, like, (laughs) you know, because it's like, it's a worse experience. It makes you say like, I don't need you to, I don't even want you to contact me. What is this for? What purpose does this serve in this experience? And it kind of gives you this opportunity to re-ask the questions about why your relationship to these uh, services is the way it is. Yeah. So when you're adopting a new paradigm, you need there's going to be some phase where somebody has to kind of facilitate your your understanding, and uh, that can be a tutor or something. But of course, if you want to scale it, having things that are repeatable, documented, interactive, I think is like the best you can do on the internet. Actually, some of my first programming, my first web app was in Python on Udacity, Udacity mm-hmm. 101, built a Google clone from scratch. And so I'm a huge believer in interactive education in the browser, and that's part of how we approach MetaMask Learn. It's Uh, It's not just like a document, it's like a series of, you know, kind of paneled explanations of concepts and then interactive kind of simulated experiences. And I I think as a framework for teaching new concepts, it's an exciting first step. And I hope that we just keep on um, using it to keep users safer and better informed about kind of this whole spectrum. Hopefully they'll even like, you know, understand the, the risks of new investments at some point, right? Yeah,
0: maybe at some point. Yeah. Well, at what point do you imagine companies might be open to leveraging the power of wallets as sort of you know as an alternative to the email
1: chaotic email and process? I mean, they, they can already. Uh, you know, it's kind of just a uh, just a question of who, who wants to who wants to do it. There's a, there's an alternative to Google Docs where you sign in with your MetaMask and it means that everything is end to end encrypted, so there's no Google that can, uh, you know, surveil what you're doing. And it's just a better experience to to be able to do that. So I I think that once you've got a Web3 wallet, uh, you almost have to ask like, why do you need somebody's email? And it's basically like, if you need to uh, contact the person, that's the good reason to get somebody's email. Why would you need a password? That's a good question too. It's almost like everybody's moving off passwords, right? Even Apple with their pass keys, trying to move everybody off passwords. So I think we're getting a little bit more sane But uh, even then, if even just having this single account model where it's like, oh, you're logged in or you're not, I think that's even kind of broken because, you know, uh, I can't log into my Xbox without using my business account, you know, now because it's like the same account. Like, oh, so I hope your Xbox is uh, industrially secure, you know. Mm -hmm. But the the Web3 wallet gives you a, a tool for granting permissions extremely granularly. When you log in, Oh, you're disclosing a public key, but you're not granting any other access, right? Mm-hmm. And then, if you grant a token allowance, you can say how much of an allowance you want to grant, and so you can get really, really granular in a way that, you know, traditionally you just hand your whole account over. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to make that more and more granular and give people put people even more in control of uh, the relationships to third-party services. Give the power back to the people. Yeah. <laughs> Dan Finlay,
0: thanks for taking the time to join us on
1: the show. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're working on and all the m- magic of MetaMask that is unfolding?
1: Um, most of the MetaMask magic you can find uh, over at metamask.io. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Finlay or stalk me on GitHub at the same name.
0: Good stuff. Good seeing you. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have a great day.